0: Hey everybody, this is Brian Zimmerman, digital content editor of Jazz's Magazine and host of Jazz's Backstage Pass. We are going to get into this interview with saxophonist Grace Kelly in a minute, but first I'd like to thank a few of this episode's sponsors. They include cobuzz.com, the world's largest catalog of streaming music in studio quality high res. You can stream all of your music in the highest possible quality, starting at just $9.99 per month. Visit on.cobuzz.com slash jazz is to learn more. That's on.qobuz.com slash jazz is to learn more. I use cobuzz. The music sounds great. I've bought cobuzz for other people, other music nerds like myself. They love it. it makes a great gift for the holiday season. Check them out on.cobus.com slash jazz is. Thanks also to Prairie Star Records. They've got a new album out right now by vocalist Patrice Jegou. It's called If This Ain't Love. It's really good. It has my stamp of approval. You can check her out online at patricejegou.com. That's P-A-T-R-I-C-E-J-E-G-O-U.com. All right. My guest today is the incredibly talented saxophonist Grace Kelly. Now, even if you don't know who Grace Kelly is, you've probably heard her without knowing it. She's been a member of keyboardist John Batiste's band Stay Human, and she's even performed with him on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, so you may have seen her on there. She was also among the performers at President Barack Obama's first inauguration, so that is pretty cool. She was something of a protege of the late saxophone master Phil Woods, and they even did an album together. We talk about that in the podcast a bit. And get this, she recently won the John Lennon songwriting competition in the country category, no less, which is a testament to her incredible versatility. Oh, and she also happens to just crush it in the social media game. She's posting music videos all the time, including most recently a mashup of Billie Eilish's Bad Guy with Michael Jackson's Don't Stop Till You Get Enough. It's really cool, and it features bassist Nick West. Uh, Her most recent album is Go Time Live live in LA. We'll listen to a bit of that. But the reason for our conversation today is that Grace will be performing at the Tucson Jazz Festival on January 12th in Tucson, Arizona, sharing a double bill with Aubrey Logan from Postmodern Jukebox and Dave Causes Summer Horns. Uh, The fest runs January 10th through the 20th. For tickets and more info, visit tucsonjazzfestival.org. All right, let's get into this conversation with Grace Kelly. Take it away, Grace.
1: Hey everybody, what's up? This is Grace Kelly, and you are listening to Jazz is Backstage Pass.
0: And as the track Unbroken Wings, from Grace's new album, Go Time, live in L.A., winds to a close here. Let's go ahead and join Grace. She was talking to us from her home studio in New York City. Thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Really appreciate it. Um, We're talking because you are about to be headlining the Tucson Jazz Festival. Um, Is this your first time ever going to Tucson?
1: Uh, I believe it is. Yeah. I believe so. I'm really stoked.
0: Sweet, have you been to Arizona before?
1: I have. I've been to Phoenix. We played at the MIM Museum in the past. Okay. The Musical Instrument Museum, which has like got a beautiful performance space and every type of instrument one can possibly imagine in their museum section.
0: That's awesome. What was out of curiosity, what was like the most unusual thing you saw there? Cuz I'm like a weird musical instrument nut.
1: Yeah, I definitely saw some wild saxophones that I didn't even know like existed, just between like the, the bells looking way different and like lack of note holes and I, I can't even remember on the top of my head the, their names, but you know, they, they have every level is like spread out with different instruments, so it was just like looking at them in cases and admiring them and being like, "Wow, I didn't even know that was someone built that. That's so cool."
0: right right and i think it was just recently adolf sax's birthday like this month inventor of the saxophone and so we did a little post on him and just looking into his history too was pretty um interesting because he invented the saxophone but there was also like the saxo tuba oh
1: and my like God. the
0: saxo horn yeah 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 yeah
1: the sax or tuba. Okay. <laughs> right. Not to
0: mention all the variation. You like the, because there's baritone sax and then there's bass sax too, right? right? And right. Then there's even, it goes deeper than that. Yeah. Right? Yeah.
1: Then you got to get the, you know, the pickup truck out to be
0: able to. <laughs> it, the To play some of that other stuff. Cool. Cool. Well, your upcoming performance at the Tucson Jazz Festival is January 12th. You are performing with Aubrey Logan, which is a really cool We're pairing. doing
1: a, a double bill. We're really.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you played with her before?
1: Um, Aubrey and I actually went to Berkeley College of Music together back in the day, which is where we first knew of each other and, and connected. And she's such a fantastic performer. So this opportunity for both of our bands you know, to come together and, and do a double bill is... Uh, I'm really excited about it. She has incredible musicianship and, and a really powerful performer. And uh, it's cool to think that we you know, our roots
0: go back to, to college days. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. Um, yeah. And what I love about both of your styles is just that you have really, um, and you especially open jazz up to so many possibilities and to so many different potential audiences, you know, because you're, you're welcoming to the pop sound, the hip hop sound, you know, the smoother sounds. I'm kind of curious about your musical upbringing and how you got here. Um, were you the type of person that just listened to everything under the sun?
1: Um, well, thank you for those very kind words. It's so, it's so awesome to hear because it's part of my vision of how I, you know, want to push forward as a performer and artist. Um, growing up, I listened to, yeah, a lot of stuff. My, you know, I got a super kudos to my parents for having a very diverse playlist around the house because they were controlling the uh, what was on the CD player the back drive. then. Oh, the yeah. CD player,
0: right. the cassettes, having to wind those back with the end of a pencil. Oh, yeah.
1: But it was it was actually a lot of Broadway stuff. I was like a total Broadway nerd from from being I don't know like six years old. They took me to Broadway shows, and I wanted to be uh, one day acting and on the stage. I didn't know anything about jazz then. But the jazz that they did play was great Brazilian music, Stan Getz, Joe Beam, you know, Girl from Ipanema was, like, on repeat. And they're actually, their jazz discography was, like, super narrow to just being that. Because um, my mom had heard it on the radio and, and loved that. And then, you know, the Beatles was playing, Stevie Wonder, James Taylor, Debussy. Um It wasn't until I started saxophone at the age of 10 that I actually fully dove into jazz because it was my sax teacher who was like have you heard of charlie parker i'm like no who's that he's like okay have you heard of john coltrane i'm like nope like and so i'm really also very grateful to have had some incredible teachers early on who really and literally opened up my consciousness to the history of jazz um but i think in my you know in my blood and in my bones it's always been music no matter what genre it is it's either touched me or did something to me or it didn't. And I never was thinking about the genre of it, you know? To me, expression is also that fluid. It's like if I wanna play something on the saxophone and I feel a certain way and wanna omit like sadness, then I'll do that. If I want to write a skit about it or like dance it, I'll do that too. So as a kid, I was actually, um, my parents told me that I was, they could I'd be in my room for hours with just a mirror and a chair. I'd just be making up skits, dances, songs. And I'm really grateful that I had this avenue of expressing myself. And that's why I feel like it's really important for, for kids in the educational system to have that outlet, whether it's music or acting or dancing. Just there's a lot of emotions going on at the time. And it's important to be able to you know, have, a, have a path to get, get that out
0: totally just you need an outlet for whatever you're feeling and it's it was it's interesting to hear that your background was your like first initial love was theater because i feel like with so many people who grow up loving broadway and loving theater they learn to kind of convey that emotion or that sense of storytelling or narrative through song you know and i I think you do that a lot thanks Um, so that
1: storytelling element um wherever it comes in Because certainly through song uh, was my first interaction with, you know, uh, how to express myself. So when I I was doing a bunch of acting um, productions as well from a young age, and it's like you learn a song, you learn to sing it, you, you learn how to connect to those words, you learn how to dance it, and then you learn how to communicate it to an audience so that they feel it too. So that's very much my background of what I've been... It's re-entering my life now With jazz and saxophone For a while I actually really shied away from it Because I was like I don't know if this has a place Like You know But then I realized That that's what makes me me And all my backgrounds My theatrical backgrounds And my love for dance And music And colors And fashion And you know So it's It's been a good process And
0: it's so I mean you're such a good example Of being able to find a place for that In jazz You know Because like I'm the same way Like I love Henry Threadgill and I love Ornette Coleman, but I also love Disney Tunes and Broadway and it's like, why can't you like both? you know and it's like we need more artists like you to be like, uh yes, you can.
1: yeah, I think yeah. it's just like the spice of life. It's like also what if we're just eating the same stuff all the time yeah. I mean yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a very curious person, so I I just love you know. Seeing someone else's world or going into another world of music just like you. It's like, yeah, great Henry Threadgill meets Disney. Awesome.
0: All right. Well, yeah, somebody definitely needs to make that happen Um, Henry Threadgill meets Disney Grace, I'm curious. How did you find your way to the saxophone in the first place?
1: So the sound of Stan Getz playing the tenor sax really just got to my heartstrings. I always felt like the saxophone was like the human voice it hit me like that. And I, and when I first was hearing Getz, I was singing along to his solos and there was no difference of someone singing or him playing. So that's where I met a mental note in my head of like, Ooh, the saxophone. I want to do that. And to this day, I really feel like I'm, I'm singing through the horn. And sometimes audience members, they say, wow, you really, you play like you're singing and you sing like you play. And I'm like, it's all the same to me thank you and it's literally all the same and i have my students and and people i'm i'm coaching i always have them saying everything first you know if you're working on a transcription or if you're working on trying to get something i'm like active listening singing and then pick up your axe
0: right and knowing the lyrics, I've heard too. Who was it, Lester Young, that was like, "I don't play a ballad unless I know the lyrics." Yeah. You know, because again, it's the same thing, like conveying that emotion. Like, how, how are you going to convey the song emotionally if you don't know the lyrics?
1: hundred percent. So. And one of my mentors, Phil Woods, also talked about that. Always knowing the the lyrics, to the song, and you can hear it when he plays. It's just he also always knows where to play, where to fill with a singer. You know. There it's Nancy Wilson or, or Paul Simon. I mean, it, that's also a really hard thing. And I think you don't, um, you won't know where to tastefully make those moments unless you're listening to the big picture. Um, unless you're listening to the words, you're listening to the singer, you're listening to how the saxophone feeds in, in its fill, in its role. So that's, that's another thing that everyone, you know, that I'm, I'm, I'm teaching, just trying to also teach about the role of of the instrument
0: yeah talk about your relationship with phil i know you were very close something of a protege um where did you two first meet
1: we actually first met at the stanford jazz workshop in stanford california um i mean i've always been such a huge admirer of of him and it was crazy it was like one year he was actually listed as faculty and um bless my parents for, you know, they sent me out for a week. And um, I was hoping to, to get to have some private lessons with him during that time. And believe it or not, I just emailed him on his website before Stanford being like, hey, is there any chance that, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan? Are you teaching at Stanford? And he said, I'm not teaching, but I've heard about you through Lee Conans and who's another mentor of mine. And he said, I look forward to meeting you. And the stars aligned in the way that um, I happened to be in the ensemble before the one he was teaching. So he would, like, come early to set up, and he right there heard me play. And then he was just so supportive, and, and really, like, after that week together, he was, like, stay in touch. And shortly after, he was playing in Massachusetts, which, where I grew up. I went to see him. He was playing with the, the, a big band, and he said, do you have your horn with you? this was just a week after we met, and I said, yeah, actually, I do, and he said, come up and play play one, and, and then we played the standard I'll Remember April, and he took off his legendary leather cap, and he put it on my head, and my dad filmed that, and it's up on YouTube, um, and that was the first moment that we really connected, and from there, our relationship blossomed, and we did a recording together called Man with the Hat, when Uh, I had Monty Alexander on keys, Bill Goodwin on drums, um, Evan Greger on bass. And we actually toured together, too. He joined me on my European tour for the record. Um, We played the Newport Jazz Festival, the Hollywood Bowl, the Playboy Jazz Festival. Um, It was an incredible experience getting to be on tour with Phil eating schnitzel and hearing his stories and learning from him. I mean, the the most amount of learning happened on the bandstand. And we had some moments that were, like, really... Like, he literally shouted out on stage, like, nope, not it, (laughs) to me and to the band. You know, like, he was schooling us on stage, and also just the amount of wisdom that would just pour out of him in in these, like, in these moments during the day, whether we're just in the van together, we're having lunch, or in the dressing room before, he'd just be like, play, play something. He'd play something and be like, play it back, you know, and then it's gone. And I'd be like, wait, can it, and he's like, nope.
0: Figure it out, Yeah. (laughs) how cool. I'm um, you know it and it's such it's a, it's a method of education in jazz that is becoming rarer and rarer. Yeah. You know, really younger generation learning from the old on the bandstand in real time. Um and you can t- I feel like there's something about the quality of the players that come up that way, you know, under a mentor like the mentorship style, you know, people um you know, who tore, I'm thinking of Jameson Ross, the drummer who came up kind of with Carmen Lundy, um, you know, and people who learn that that old-fashioned method of just doing it on the bandstand. Um, There are are lessons that you can't learn uh, in your BA program, you know
1: you know you're on the hot plate and it's like yeah. you're in front of people and an audience i mean even some of my band members who are older than me they've never experienced that and i had a very similar experience with russell malone once when he brought me up at the detroit jazz festival on his set and i didn't know any songs he had me up for the entire set and he would, blind what and he was playing like these very obscure standards that had so many changes and every time and this was on the main stage
0: yeah. every
1: time he'd look at me he'd go you go you go first so I didn't even have time to try yeah, to like decide to try to get
0: it. the changes down.
1: But when, when Russell first met me and we, we jammed together actually at the Lionel Hampton Jazz Festival, he, he made a nickname for me called Dumbo. Cause he's like, you've got big ears. So it was like, you know, moments like that, that, and I actually have, you know, on the younger generation, the, the millennial side, John Batiste is also very much like this. And I spend a lot right. of time working with him. And so. I definitely feel, I mean, he's so spontaneous. He's going to just point to you and be like, go, we're going to make the changes up as we go on national television. And you're right. Like those moments, they really can't be taught. And the amount of growth that I've, I've, um, learned and cultivated from it has been like massive, really. Cause you have, you have to shut off your thinking at that moment. And it's like, you just gotta execute in whatever way you can, you know, right?
0: ears are the thing and it's like can't fear mistakes at that point you know and you just see you can't be thinking about like changes going by at two beats per bar you know it's like okay i'm relying on instinct now you can't say
1: stop well you could say stop (laughs) but you know
0: then you get the uh, symbol thrown at your feet like charlie parker or something like that um you're just relying on ears and and that's i mean back before there were jazz programs at universities ears were the thing transcribing being on the bandstand so you can hear in your sound grace you totally can um you know it's really kind of natural i say that there are players that their brain is just connected to their fingers there's no translation they just say like you were saying through the voice um what they think just comes through the horn and um i feel like the way to get that is just by actually doing it you know totally Bandstand, learning with the best you know i have a funny russell malone story actually um yeah i was living in new york at the time and i went to the village vanguard to go see tom harrell and i was sitting in the back and you know there was a guy sitting next to me and during intermission we got to chatting and i was like uh tom harrell he he's if you didn't know he's really one of like the most important jazz trumpet players today and he was like oh okay sure yeah um And I was like, yeah, he's, you know, a hero of mine And I don't know if you listen to much of his stuff Yada yada, but you should definitely check him out he's like, okay, sure I say, I'm Brian uh, from Jazz Is What's your name? He says, I'm Russell Malone I said, oh my god I feel like such an Like, I don't don't have have to tell you (laughs) About Tom Harrell I mean, Russell Malone is so awesome But, uh, you know Here I am trying to inform Russell Malone About uh, Tom Harrell, so That was my one klutz moment.
1: (laughs) I love it. He probably really was like Brian Diggs (laughs) Tom.
0: Right. Humble. He was a humble dude. Humble dude. You mentioned John Batiste and I want to start there because I kind of want to talk about just some like big career defining moments for you. Um, You know, you've played with Stay Human. You've been on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. What was that like? How'd you link up with John, and, and what was that like? To
1: it was an amazing experience. John's been a friend of mine for a few years now, even before the the gig on the, the Late Show with Stephen Colbert. And, you know, we actually started out, the reason why we first linked up was because his um, past saxophonist, Eddie Barbash, who'd been playing with him since Juilliard. Um, Eddie and I have known each other since... We were like 13 and 14 and 15 years old um, from the Brubeck Jazz Colony. And just a random serendipity, one day I was in New York and bumped into Eddie and I hadn't seen him in so long. This was years ago. And he said, you gotta come by tonight if you're free, Um, playing with this guy, John Batiste, at this loft party. Like, bring your horn. He likes it when people sit in. And I I knew of John. Um, We'd seen each other on the festival circuit when he was touring with Cassandra Wilson and Roy Hargrove and I remember we used to like kind of like wave to each other and be like yeah yeah what's up but we never really like linked and so that night yeah I went to this really cool party like Questlove was there playing John was playing the whole band a lot of a lot of videographers just like a private thing not even a venue and just met everyone there and John like pointed to me and said like come play just jammed a bit and then you know, I honestly became such a fan of the band and I'm yeah. such a fan of Eddie's too. And so I would go see them, um, you know, wherever they were playing and often, you know, hang with them after at the after party. And um, then one day out of the blue, John called me and was like, hey, you want to like be a special guest, at blue note? I was like, yeah, man. And then yeah. later he did a, a bigger horn section for the Newport Jazz Festival. There was ten of us. So he brought me in on that. And honestly, we just started to develop a friendship. And then when he did get this gig for Late Show, Stephen Colbert, um, I, I got a very uh, out-of-the-blue text from him being like, hey, Grace, I know you play alto. Can you remind me of the other axes that you play? Do you play Barry? Do you play clarinet? Do you play flute?
0: Saxo-tuba.
1: <laughs> Saxo-tuba. And I was like, <laughs> I thought maybe he'd be talking about the Late Show for like, Maybe he's going to ask me for the future or some other gigs. He always has something up his sleeve. And I was like, yes, I do. I play them. But I had not played clarinet since fourth grade. I had not played baritone since like eighth grade. And then he wrote back, that's great. What are you doing on Monday? It was Friday.
0: Oh, my
1: God. And I was like, "Uh, I was going to fly back to L.A. where I'm living, but like, what's up? And he was like, could you come join us on the late show for two weeks? And so I was just like oh, hell yeah, but also, like, oh, my God, wait. That's, like, not nearly enough time to try to, like, learn clarinet again. So I was just freaking out. Um, I kind of just assumed in my head there'd be, like, more lead time. But I, uh, you know, called up Yamaha, who was, I endorsed her stuff, and they were like, don't worry, we got you. We got, come into the, the shop, like, get the axes, called Vandoren. I endorsed their stuff. They were like, this is great. We're gonna set you up with mouthpieces, and I literally spent the weekend Trying to get reacquainted with clarinet, learn the baritone sax, and I also had no idea what music we were going to play, and like just had never been in a TV show band, um, and so you can imagine how much I was I was sweating. But I we had the greatest time, and my first solo on that, you know, on national TV with that band was on clarinet. That's literally oh the first God. thing John was like.
0: Trial by fire. He
1: was like clarinet solo because we didn't even have rehearsal before we were live um and i learned so much from this this guy i'm so grateful for our time together and he also recorded on some of my past records so um he's a dear friend and he's an incredible inspiration one of the most hard-working kind people um and talented just like it's really amazing being around. And him. another
0: one of the cats who's like genre pshh. Like, I'll, you know, I remember he did a set at Dizzy's. It was a late set of just nursery rhymes.
1: I was about to say The Wheels on the Bus. I've the seen that recording on YouTube. And I was like, oh my God. It's like Old McDonald's yeah. Wheels on the Bus.
0: But it was so hip.
1: Yeah. And it's like, like
0: why not? Why not? Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I, I. That's cool that you saw that one. I saw that on YouTube. But yeah, it's like, even on the Late Show, we drop into like a Drake song, and he's just got a way of making it his own. Right. And but then we'd also go to like Giant Steps, and I'm like, right. this is so cool. Like, right. and then Joe would take out his tambourine, and we would just kind of be like free, adding all this Nola swag and playing Drake. You know, like I really admire that about John. I really, yeah. really like. I think that is so cool. Yeah.
0: Well, and you're you're a great fit for that band too, because again, it's about. Bringing jazz to a larger audience, to a broader audience, without necessarily watering it down or, you know, it's so important and, and it's so refreshing, you know, that, that we introduce new audiences to this sound um, uh, without sacrificing its authenticity, its integrity. So I think you both do that really really well and so you guys are a perfect match and you know it only makes sense that you'd be on the late show with Stephen Colbert. Did Stephen come up and like schmooze with you guys?
1: Yeah he's the greatest. I mean in the the breaks. Sometimes he'd sing with us and he'd also like dance and there was for anyone who's seen the live show the band plays a lot more because we're doing all the commercial breaks Stephen's just like hanging Um, he knew my name within the first week and would just like stop in the hallway to chat with me and is the greatest guy and very non-hollywood too i mean like as authentic and smart and kind as he is on screen he's like 10 times more in person um but and so talented like he can do like four pirouettes in a row and like sing these
0: yeah well he was a broadway guy too wasn't he like he's an old and he was just recently in um company not just recently, but because I'm like a Steven Sondheim free. I love anything by Sondheim. And he was just in like this all celebrity version of company. Oh, was he? Uh, yeah. With Neil Patrick Harris was the main character. And he, sang, I mean, he held it down. Sang, danced, did fake karate. It was awesome. Uh, <laughs> I know you also, another big moment for you was, okay, you were featured in a performance at Barack Obama's inauguration. Yeah. Yes. That's amazing. These are huge stages. <laughs> How did that come together?
1: That was um, super wild. Uh, very, again, the serendipity of everything timing-wise happening when it did. I met Wynton Marsalis at a random steakhouse in New York City when I was jamming with a trio there. And okay.
0: He was just there, and you're like, oh, my God, that's Wynton Marsalis. The story
1: thickens in a real in, in a very interesting way that – um, the pianist who was playing Antonio Chaka was working at Jazz at Lincoln Center, which I didn't know. I was just there with, you know, actually I was there with Lee Conant because Lee knows Antonio and we were looking for a place and my, my folks were there, we were just looking for a place to eat and hang out. And so he was like, let's go to Roths. And I had my horn with me and Antonio invited me up and he said, you know, stay for the second set. We got a trumpeter coming in, you know, with a little wink. And I'm like, okay, cool. And lo and behold, second set starts. There's, like, ten people at the steakhouse. Winton walks in with his horn and his son, plays the whole second set with us. I mean, I'm just, like, freaking out. I mean, this is, like, the coolest thing ever. And and then afterwards, he was, like, you know, we took our pictures. He's, like, you sound great. And then, like, got a call from his people, like, a week later, being like, Winton would like to invite Grace To be his um, one of his special guests at Rose Hall with the Jazz at Lincoln Center Big Band, for three nights, like, oh my god, amazing! (laughs) And then like after that was, shortly after that was, Wynton would like to invite Grace to be a part of um, Obama's inauguration special concert he's putting together at the Kennedy Center with a lot of great folks, including Dave Brubeck will be playing, and his Cassandra Wilson and Roy Haynes. So I actually played a song with dave burbeck that night wow and uh he you know curated the whole night and it was one of the most incredible I would, incredible and nerve-wracking nights
0: and uh, that's those are incredible and nerve-wracking is just like how you know something good is about to happen if it, you get that feeling that's going to be incredible and nerve-wracking that's uh how you know it's going to be a a memorable event,
1: very pinch me moments.
0: Yeah, totally. That's been that's been you, Grace. That's been you, Grace. Uh, another big event for you. This one, uh, pretty recent. Um, you won the John Lennon songwriting contest. Yes, for 2019. Yeah. Um, for your song "Feels Like Home," um, twenty thousand dollars. That's that's amazing. You know, were you the first, like, quote unquote, jazz artist to win this award?
1: So the interesting thing about it is. Um, I won in the country genre because the song right. is, it's actually, it's a singer songwriter, uh, composition totally. and it was, yeah. it was entered in a few categories, okay. but it won country. Um, to answer your question in the past, they did have someone win jazz. Okay. I'm the first jazz trained to win country. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, that the whole thing was just so, I'm so honored. And, you know, I just honestly can't believe that, that <laughs> this is my little, I've always been songwriting since I was actually seven years old, but I was never trained in it. It was, again, just like this way of expressing myself that I felt was really important because I needed to get these feelings out. And this is a song I wrote for my boyfriend, probably one of my most personal. And we recorded it at a live session. And um, just to get this incredible nod from the John Lennon um songwriting contest and and their whole team um and also the judges because they said the the final round of actually picking song of the year is like based solely upon songwriting they're like we know you're a performer we know all these things
0: you, you play sax on it like you mentioned it had that kind of like country folksy feel but the sax is there you got eight bars um, of sax a yes, totally. very important I'm a little, interlude, a
1: little interlude and at one point i was working with a producer and they were like wanted to take it out. I'm like, no, man, we got to keep that, like, yeah, country sax, you. come on. Yeah. This is so me, yeah. So, um, that meant a lot to me, because it gave me a new confidence in my songwriting be- that I didn't have before. Like I was saying, I mean, I'm, I wasn't trained in it, so part of me, the, the very cerebral part of me, is like, you know, I'm trained in jazz, I'm trained in sax, trained in singing, and like, this is just this other thing that's a part of me, but, but the this year has really been an, an incredible uh, journey of being able to now discover and own own that more. Like, I feel like when you, for me, when I step into something, I really like 150% dive into it, sometimes to almost an OCD nature. Um, but it's such a mental game for, I'll just go to say, it's a mental game for us musicians who often were like so down on ourselves or doubting ourselves or like, just playing with these monkeys in our brain. And for me, it was like, oh, okay, like this, not that this had to be the reason, but for right now, this is the reason why I'm like really gonna just try to dive in and take this way more seriously and and see where I can develop it into. So I'm very grateful for that.
0: So let's actually listen to a little bit of that track. Here is Feels Like Home by Grace Kelly featuring Elliot Skinner.
1: For all in a thousand stories, high it's amazing and it's crazy, and I'm strangely satisfied. You grab my hand, and the color in my world comes alive when I never planned to fall in love. We watch the hours when the sunlight run away, talking of dreams, shattered memories, and family holidays. Stranger than love, and i something more. I cannot say, maybe this time.
0: And it's you can tell you had that momentum behind it because you hit upon this, just like this great, it's like nugget of an idea of like you're with someone who feels like home. You know what I mean? It's one of those things that's so simple yet profoundly simple, and I think that's just like the best. That's like the best thing that can be at play in a song. You know, it's just like oh, I've I've felt that way before. I've like everybody understands how it feels. It's so simple yet so universal. How did that song kind of like? I'm wondering because I've written some terrible songs and some terrible poems, um, which is so, so I know a good one when I hear it. Um, how did that idea come about and how did you develop it? Did you like start with this little phrase, feels like home, and grow it outward, or
1: I have a very interesting songwriting, um, uh, process which is. I keep a running list on my phone of all the ideas that come to mind. Some somebody might say something and I just write it down and I've tried to organize it now on my phone. I mean it's really, really long. Yeah. And sometimes I go through it and I see a phrase. Um, in this case I didn't even open it up. I just I actually from my subconscious remembered that from a while ago I had written down Feels Like Home. And um Honestly, like the 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 emotional place that I was in when I was first meeting and dating my boyfriend is complete love days. I mean, just like floating on a cloud. And <laughs> yeah. I have this thing that when I when I get over, like I have so much emotion, it just it comes out, and it's not really like a um, a refined process. But I literally I wrote this song in in an hour, and I just I remember that wow. phrase feels like home, and I just started writing stream of consciousness I think I probably had like eight verses in the beginning and then um really started to twiddle it down be like what is this song about the chorus came out um just like very very quickly so so the interesting thing for me now is actually going back and trying to to learn more about my process because not everything happens on demand and I actually always urge people and myself to challenge your creativity and always have it flowing, which means you just have to sit down and write. And if you think you can't write, you just got to sit down and write. And you're going to write you know, tons of really bad songs and poems and improvs, but at some point you're going to get something that's great. And it's really just a matter of quantity at that point. This song was different because it just poured out from a very special place, but I do really believe that we can train ourselves to have creativity on tap.
0: Right. And uh, just by putting your butt in the seat, yeah,
1: right? Yeah, put your butt in the seat and just do the thing. And yeah. all you have to do is show up, show up for yourself. And, um, you know, I'd say make sure the distractions, like, turn off the phone. i leave my phone in another room and, and just see what comes out in that moment. And the other thing that I've been learning recently, and I, 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 this topic came up with, I did a recent interview with Jeffrey Tambor, Jeffrey Taborn from Arrested Development and yeah, Transparency oh, okay. and he yeah. has a show on acting it's called Acting Schmacting but he's now had a few musicians including Paul Schaefer and he wanted to have me on I was, we had such a great conversation and he was saying like he used to get into this very rigid thing before a shoot like he'd have to have his routine blah 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 and he's like but okay. nowadays he's like I bring whatever emotion I've had through that day into the shoot so it's kind of an opposite thing of and I was like, right. "Wow, I gotta take I gotta experiment with this. It's actually like taking in everything that's happening, maybe like all the joyous things. maybe there was something frustrating like right, and right, right. bringing it into your improv in on the stage, bringing it into your songwriting. Um, and I'm like, wow, it's that's, that's really cool because I also yeah. sometimes get into my shell. Um, right
0: or of like i have to get into the space of you know just like perfect creativity like i have to make room for the muse yeah i gotta light my candles five times and yeah yeah just you know make
1: sure it's the right temperature and yeah yeah right right
0: yeah (laughs) well it is a lovely song and i've got to say it's so nice it's so refreshing to hear just like a I love you, and we've been together for a while, and your awesome song. You know, because so many songs about breaking up and leaving, and yeah, yeah. yeah. I just love um, a song that's like we're really happy together, and you know, <laughs> we need yeah, more of those, Grace. A
1: few people, and I've heard this from DMs on Instagram, have yeah. got engaged to that song and had it as their first wow. dance, oh, which I'm awesome. like, oh my god, I've just I was so so moved, and I got these very personal notes. I mean, like. Of, of And pictures and videos of like some, this couple is like probably one of their most, you know, memorable days of their life.
0: Yeah, really. Well, that's the greatest compliment you can get right there.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, very cool, very cool. Grace, anyone who follows you knows that you are just killing it in the music video game and the social media game. Um, you've got an awesome video out right now um, with Nick West. Yes, love that. You do the Billie Eilish Michael Jackson mashup. Yeah, um, that was an awesome shoot. That's an awesome song. How did that come together? And like, how did you start working with Nick West?
1: Yeah, I uh, I think Nick is just such an authentic, dynamic performer. And she had actually reached out to me via Instagram like a year ago. Oh, cool. Um, And she was like, I love seeing your videos, like would love to do something sometime. And I was checking her stuff out and I'm like, oh my God, that would be so cool. It took us that long to actually get together and like make something. Um, And it came together very last minute. She was doing a ton of touring and she literally flew in from like overseas and was like, let's let's do a shoot and then I'm gonna go collapse at home in LA. And I was like, okay. So we, and I, I had a performance the night before so I literally started working on a track like, 7 a.m. that morning, and I was like, "Uh, let's do something on the charts and make it different. Okay, Billie Eilish, like, this is a cool song. And then I was like, okay, Nick's got this super funky thing going on, like, would love to feature her on some slap bass." And then I just, like, started singing uh, Don't Stop Till You Get Enough. And I'm like, cool, let's do a mashup. I mean, it was all just, like... And, and I'm still really learning my chops in music production, so I was just like threw together loops and was like... Okay. She came in. We recorded all the audio in my studio here um, and recorded all the video. We did a nighttime shoot with my boyfriend filming us all in one day. Um, and it was really fun. And we just... You know, I think that time is one of those things where you can either have a lot of time and stretch something out or if you have something that needs to get done and you only have x amount of time like you will get it done it's a time is a very flexible thing right so we were just like okay we just have today we're gonna make a thing let's just make whatever we can and um it was a marathon of a day and she she literally collapsed at the end of the the shoot i remember i mean i was it was like 1 a.m at that point and um my boyfriend was like, "Cool, let's do a few stills," and we were both just like, "We're done, like throwing the towel. We're done. This has been a long day." But I was so happy to see how it came out, and the, and the beautiful thing about collaborations, and I love them so much because, a, you know, hanging out with these great artists and learning about their life and making music together is such an enjoyable thing for me. But also like. Flowering friendships develop and um, we're able to now have a new type of connection, which I really really Love and and I'm so happy to call these people my friends, you know
0: Well, I'd say it was well worth the effort. Let's go ahead and actually listen to some of that track This is Grace Kelly and the bassist Nick West. They're performing a mashup of the tunes Bad guy by Billy Eilish and don't stop till you get enough by Michael Jackson you mentioned you taught earlier you know doing teaching young students and i know obviously there's a huge musical component of that just teaching technique but i feel like this this exact stuff that you're talking about um collaborating thinking outside the box posting the videos doing the digital content is career-wise almost as important um do you teach any of that do you like you know is that a part of your uh, educational plan as you go to these schools or colleges. Do you stress that for these young players?
1: I'm really glad you bring that up, Brian, because it's, it's one of my passions to, to talk about. Yes. Yes. Talk about this. Um, when I am doing workshops with students, um, I am sharing my story and yes, talking about technical things, talking about music, but also trying to get people out of their comfort zones and to show them there's an absolute way to, 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 find your authenticity, to become an entrepreneur, to jumpstart your career, to DIY. Like We're just in such a different, um, in 2019 with the technology that we have and the music industry and the ways that it's changed even from just a couple years ago, Like there's this incredible opportunity to do your thing, like press post, you don't need anyone else. Like it's really, and I do stress that. And actually it's in my plans to Make some courses um, that are bringing together all these worlds of of music business, of um, being an independent artist, of also, like, specifically sax music stuff. But, um, you know, to me, I see so many talented artists. A lot of them are my dear friends. And a lot of people don't know um, that there are these opportunities for, for monetizing, for creating your super fan base, for being able to get, you know, book your shows and be able to get straight to your audience for collaborations, for um, all these, you know, ways that have developed because of technology. And I've done a lot of learning over the last year specifically about be- being a better entrepreneur and, and how to create systems, you know, and how to, um, you know, create one's own brand and... Bring your own authenticity into it. And, you know, it was a really scary thing for me at first because um, I, and I don't think it was anyone else, I was confining myself to be a certain type of jazz artist, you know, and I was coming up with all this music and I had all these ideas in my head, but I was like, I don't think that's gonna fly with my jazz audience, so I'm not gonna wear like a fuzzy pink coat because, you know, I don't know, it's like might be too much. And then one day I was like, you know, I really want to make a production. I want to make a video and audio album with my band, Special guests. I want to have an audience in the studio, kind of snarky puppy style, but like with wireless headphones. I want to wear the things I want to wear. I want to do the songs I want to do. I'm going to do a crowd fund um, campaign because if I can explain this to my fans and, and just make the thing I want to make, I'm like, I'm going to feel so much better just to know that I tried it. And if it like fails terribly, I'm still fine with it because I at least like did the thing that I had in my head. It was actually like killing me to not do that. So, I went straight to my fans and like, you know, raised a bunch of money on a uh, pledge of music they completely funded my video and audio album and distribution and everything. And um the thing that ended up happening which was such a a confidence booster and 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 really something that was huge in my growth as an as an artist is my fans, the ones who really like dig what I do, suddenly became super fans.
0: Right?
1: And it was because I took that leap of trusting my authenticity and growing into my office authenticity. And my fans were like, we want to help you. We right. want to support you. And like, yes, we love this. Like, and suddenly, like I entered this whole new mental space of like, oh, so I just gotta be doing like more of that, you know? And yeah. um, that, that this, to see the support you know, flood in from my fans and and from people like really like writing me encouraging notes. Also, some of these videos have gotten like millions of views on YouTube, and it was doing like all of it was doing way better than any past records of mine as far as like distribution, reaching people like just like gaining traction. And I was like, wow, okay, this is this is great. And so to get back to your question, I feel very passionate. Uh, I'm really glad you brought it up. Of of spreading to other artists because it's incredibly empowering to know that you can get your stuff out the way you want it to get out to your fans and like have it be this amazing process um while you do it
0: totally it's like they like you already why not be the truest you there is it's just so weird that there's something holding us back from that you know and it's like it's in like in almost every art every form of expression writing to you know it's weird that there's something preventing us from just being like, this is me and this is who I want to be. And, you know, maybe you shake that off with age and experience, but, um, you know, to see you do it at your age, you're still 27, 27. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just a real sign of maturity and ambition. So yeah, I, I honestly think you're a leader in a lot of ways in this regard with the social media stuff, the digital content stuff, um, and you're setting a huge example for you know the generation behind you, so thank you.
1: I kudos really like to you. it means a lot. I really appreciate it. Um,
0: you're welcome. Do you remember the first time you saw that a million views thing on a YouTube Did that kind of like blow your mind? It was you so exciting. I just, <laughs> that's, you know, so many people.
1: The other thing that was so exciting about that is like that video, those are completely organic. That's fan sharing, it there was no advertisement.
0: Yeah, yeah. that's
1: the other thing about our world today. It's like if you make good. Great content and continue to refine and make like you don't even have to spend money on marketing, you know, for all of the thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars that people are spending on, you know, right. trying to get PR and blah blah blah. It's yep. like, well, first just focus on great content, you know, and right. it'll do the work for you. And I never really believed it first because I never had one of those things happen. Um, but it's true, like between the algorithms of the computer and YouTube and the way that it gets seen, and like after it hits a certain mark of like m- amount of people have seen it, it just gets shown to more and more and more people. And um, it was one of my goals for, for last year to have like a big video. And so it was just, you know, and it, it also, um, the thing that I like to do when I'm looking at other content creators is is just analyze it, right? Like why? Do I think this is working, mm-hmm. or why is it reaching a lot of people? Or even if I don't like it, like maybe it's a stupid video, but there is something there that's making people press share. Right,
0: and right. so then
1: it's it's a journey of figuring out what is your way that you feel proud of and comfortable of making a video that could reach a lot of people if that's your goal, um, and then kind of deciphering it to to be in your style.
0: Totally. All right. Well, now you got to spill the beans. What's like your guilty pleasure, stupid YouTube video? black hole genre everybody <laughs> has one grace come on i
1: don't know if this is stupid but i really like <laughs> well that's true not
0: stupid it's yeah, just yeah. your guilty pleasure we all have it. or not I, that guilty
1: i love all the food shows like hot hot ones oh hot it's ones. hysterical you, and also just like um yeah tim and eric have some i think really yes. funny parody yes. cooking show stuff um I just, oh, yeah, I love watching all that. I love the cupcake shows. I
0: just, it's visually, like, so into it. Nice. There's always, everybody has their black holes. Mine is, like, people going to Star Wars land um, and building lightsabers and stuff like oh
1: that. Oh, my and gosh, I <laughs> love you.
0: it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I um, love it. Grace, I wanted to just kind of wrap up here with the new album. The newest is uh, Go Time Live in L.A., yes. right? Yes. Because you're in L.A. now. How long have you been in L.A.?
1: Actually, I'm, I'm back in New York,
0: Okay. But uh, yeah,
1: but with this Go Time series, which actually started a couple of years ago with Go Time Brooklyn, I wanted to just continue right. this thing of doing live live shows and live performances. So I was like, all right, let's do it in a different city. So I do have ties with LA because I lived there for two and a half years before gotcha. I moved okay. to New York, and so um, that's why we picked it as as the the next location. And um, yeah, it's a live. Recording um, and has some guests on it, including an incredible tap dancer, dear friend Sarah Reich. We do Chicoria's Spain and Is You Is or Is You Ain't My Baby, Lou Jordan, and just kind of change things up. So that was, and and I'm rolling out all the videos right now on YouTube that because we had it filmed for video and audio so people can enjoy it whatever way they want to
0: enjoy it. Awesome. All right, you've done the bi coastal thing now. If you had to boil it down, or or pick like one essential difference between L.A. and New York, like what difference really defines you know the two cities?
1: Ooh, that's. Uh,
0: you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I, I love that. I find that New Yorkers and and like I don't know. I'm gonna say this by saying like this is totally.
0: It's all generalization. Yeah, yeah, so you know, yeah. I mean, I'm I've met you on the spot.
1: Yeah, I met some people in L.A. that are that have this about it, but. I feel like New York is just like really dig in to uh, I don't know if it's like an obsessive thing or just like the quality of stuff or also just um, there's a there's a real cool openness about the community especially the, the the music community in New York where it's like if you go to a jam session just like get up and play and I found sometimes in LA things were just a little bit felt a little more clicky at times. Um, But, you know, I I think uh, some things about New Yorkers is also just like there's this incredible curiosity with a lot of people that I meet and and depth, a lot of depth. And um, I I found that with pockets of, of LA and people that I was hanging with. Some dear, dear, dear friends of mine but I feel that more in the city of New York. Right. Just okay. yeah, yeah.
0: I gotcha. Plus I hear the pizza's better in New York, but the burritos aren't as good. It's so true. Tacos have, in LA right? are so yeah. slamming. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I like I, I really enjoy hanging out in like downtown in LA and like there's some super cool art stuff that's happening and studios and um Yeah, I honestly love both places so much. I love going coast to coast. I'm doing a bunch of sessions in January in L.A. and then going up to San Francisco. And I just, I love the West Coast.
0: Right on. Not to mention Tucson, where you will be performing January 12th. Splitting the bill with Aubrey Logan, 7 p.m. at the Rialto Theater. Um, You can buy tickets to that at TucsonJazzFestival.org. Grace Kelly, if people want to check things, all things Grace Kelly, where can they find you?
1: People can find me on Instagram. Um, I'm at gkellymusic. On Twitter, GraceKellyMusic. Facebook. dot com slash GraceKellyMusic and the main place is my website, which is GraceKellyMusic. dot com, and that has links to everything and more about me than I know about myself. <laughs>
0: As is the case with the internet. Yeah. Grace, thank you so much for chatting with me today. This has been super awesome. Really appreciate your time.
1: Brian, it's a a true pleasure. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me.
0: All right, and as the tune, UBU, the party chant from Grace's album, Go Time, Brooklyn 2, takes us out. I'd like to take a minute to thank this episode's sponsors, they include Smoke Sessions Records. The label has a new album by Gary Bartz, Vincent Herring, and Bobby Watson coming out very soon, November 29th, it's called Bird at 100, it's a tribute to 100 years of Charlie Parker. Learn more at SmokeSessionsRecords.com. And thanks also to Blue Note Records, they're at the tail end of their 80th anniversary, but they're still celebrating with a bunch of cool musical initiatives. To check out everything they they've got going on visit bluenote.com another thanks to ecm records they've got a new album by keith jarrett out right now it's called munich 2016 visit ECMRecords.com to learn more another big thanks to the online streaming service deezer we regularly curate playlists on this platform our latest is a playlist all about thanksgiving to check it out visit deezer.com and search for jazz is jazzradio.com featuring more than 35 channels of curated jazz music for free online is another big sponsor thanks a lot to them you can visit their website jazzradio.com to learn more thanks also to the new jersey performing arts center in newark on a calendar for them the sarah vaughn international jazz competition it's kicking off there on november 24th for tickets and more info visit njpac.org that's njpac.org Big thanks also to Jazz at Lincoln Center, one of New York's premier musical venues. On November 28th, they'll be hosting a Thanksgiving concert with Wycliffe Gordon. In addition to a night of great music, attendees will also be treated to a three-course meal. For tickets and more info, visit jazz.org. And thanks also to Quest TV, the world's first subscription video-on-demand platform dedicated to jazz. It has been called the Netflix of Jazz. To learn more, visit quest.tv. That's Q-W-E-S-T Lastly, hey, independent artists, if you'd like to get your album into the hands of a Jazz's editor, yes, including me, be sure to visit Jazz's.com and submit your info via our Inside Track program. Not only will you get your album posted on our site where people can vote for it and push it into the top five, but it'll make its way directly to the inbox of a Jazz's editor. Visit Jazz's.com and click Submit Your Music in the top navigation bar. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and a review. That really helps. Thanks a lot, everyone. We'll see you next time.